Okay, hello everybody. Welcome into this episode of Frederick Uncut. My name is Colin McGuire. I'm here with Alan Etzler. I'm very close to Alan right now. How are you? We are you? very close, yeah. It's, it's good. A new studio configuration. Yeah, I'm not sure if I can do this. We might have to cut this <laughs> short. Uh, and I'm also here with, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, sir, with your title, the Special Operations Chief? Yes, sir, for Frederick for County the, Fire Rescue. Yeah, wow. Special Ops Chief. Very important man. Very, very important man. David Barnes, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Good. It's uh, rainy outside, huh? It is. Like, that's every day around here lately, though. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into that. That's why we wanted to bring you in at first, though. Uh, we always get a little bit of background, and I'm wondering if you uh, grew up around this area. So I grew up in Carroll County, Maryland. Um, that's where I've been a lifelong resident. I started my career in the fire service as a volunteer there. Got hired on with Frederick County as a career employee back in 2001. And then I've promoted up through the ranks and held different positions throughout the department for the last 17 years. Wow. Is this something you always wanted to do? Be a fireman? Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, did you always want to uh, be in charge of water rescue? So, well, that's interesting. So uh, water rescue is, is a very uh, unique element of the fire service. I've always had an interest in special operations, which uh, is made up of different things, including hazmat, technical rescue. Uh, so for years and years now, I've had a, a general interest in the special operations element. Mm -hmm. I started out when I got promoted to battalion chief. I was assigned to the training academy and mm -hmm. handled the uh, training of all the new recruits. Uh, so that was a great learning experience for me. But I guess you could say even back then, my heart was always in the special operations element of the organization. And what what was the reason for that? What what drew you to it? I don't know. I guess I'm just different. And uh, I, I just like the fact that it, it's technical in nature. It's it's something outside of the ordinary response for us, which really requires some uh, critical decision making, uh, thought processes outside of the box, advanced training. Those are all things that I've always been extremely interested in, always wanting to challenge myself. Um, so every day in the special operations world is, is something unique, something different. And uh, you have to be very resourceful, have a, lot, a great group of career and volunteer folks under me that support that a mission for the organization every day. Uh, but it's just extremely exciting, something different that really keeps you on your toes pretty much every day. Keeps you on your toes every day. Alan and I were talking about this earlier this morning, and uh, I would assume you have some pretty interesting stories to share uh, through your time working. Um, is there anything that sticks out through the years that, that you could share that uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things, like I think Alan mentioned rescuing a cow in, in water once. So, so uh, our ATR team is an all hazard. That's our advanced technical rescue team. And uh, they, any like abnormal rescue they get involved with, and that does involve uh, animal rescues occasionally. Uh, they've done some cow stuff, some horse stuff. I mean, it's kind of all over the element, something out there. Uh, personally, uh, I guess one of the most interesting days as a whole that I've had recently was the uh, flooding that we experienced mm -hmm. back in May of this year. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on duty as one of the shift battalion chiefs. And a, a lot of what we encounter, especially weather related, usually is projected, predicted in advance. We do some pre-planning stuff. Uh, no one was really predicting that for the area. And it just hit us and stalled over the area and it required like massive, massive management of multiple incidents at once. So uh, not a specific incident, but probably as a day in my career, that was the most challenging that mm -hmm. I faced because of the numerous activities and people affected throughout the region. Uh, so that, that was very, very interesting. I've been involved with some interesting hazmats over the years, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, back in my early career, I've 
rescued a cat from a tree. I've gotten keys out of storm drains. I mean, like all kinds of interesting things. Uh, some seem uh, rather unimportant in the grand scheme of fire rescue. However, you know, we're here to try to provide a service to the public. And uh, whatever we can do within reason that's safe uh, to assist the community to give them a better day uh, is what we do. So some of those incidents there, like, like I remember when we fished the, uh, the keys out of the storm drain, like that sounds stupid, uh, but it was Christmas Eve. This lady was distraught. You know, her packages were locked in her car. Like in, in her mind, Christmas was ruined mm -hmm. and it was a rather easy event for us to go fish the keys out of the storm drain for her. And in, in theory, in her words, save Christmas. Right. So that's something you would never expect uh, to be rewarding for the fire service because that's not normally what we do. Uh, so that was extremely interesting. Um, one of the things I personally pride myself on is uh, over the years as a supervisor, I've had a lot of employees under me who have come up through the ranks and been promoted and hold different positions in the organization. Uh, so, so that's awesome to me. Frederick's a growing uh, community. The fire service is growing to see the development of those people that maybe I influenced one way or another to step up and be the next leaders of this organization is extremely rewarding to me. Go ahead. No, <laughs> so I I want to I don't want to jump too too far ahead, but I I want to get into to May a little bit with the May flooding. And you mentioned that there there wasn't much of a chance to really prepare for that. So when an incident like that happens, as opposed to maybe a a, a hurricane that you can kind of see days or, or maybe even a week in advance, what is the response? in terms of, so let's take it back to May. Okay. How do you respond when you had no real time to necessarily prepare? Yeah, so one of the things we do, especially with water rescue this season, is, you know, we look at the weather every day. We keep an eye on the local river conditions. You know, what's their speed? What's their depth? All those things. Uh, we had been watching the weather. Originally that day they were calling for some heavy rain in the area, maybe an inch or two of rain. Uh, watching the weather throughout the day, that really subsided. And then all of a sudden, we were at a meeting at our fire rescue headquarters. The meeting had concluded, and we ran a report of a structure fire out in uh, Western Frederick in the Myersville area. And as I started to respond to that call, the rain hit, and it hit. And it was just so much rain, and it had stalled over the area that it just started to flood Frederick City, as we know, and spread out into the county regions. So for a situation like that, we basically just had to implement our normal response procedures. Uh, certainly the amount of calls that the 911 center received uh, influxed the system and, and certainly strained it. However, at any given day, we have water rescue responders available in Frederick County. Uh, we have five different stations that are considered our boat companies. So uh, these five uh, fire stations in Frederick County are equipped with boats. Some of them have multiple boats and they have the personnel trained to do what we consider swift water rescue. Uh, so any kind of moving water like that, rivers, flooding conditions, uh, those personnel trained to the swift water level would go out and make those rescues. Uh, so we have a staffing model in the county that's jointly made up of career folks as well as the volunteer fire rescue staff. And uh, we just implemented our normal response procedures. Uh, those resources with the trained personnel were dispatched to the calls. Uh, the problem that started with that night was so many calls. So then the 911 center needs to prioritize the need for service and send the most appropriate resource to the highest priority call and just work down the list. Um, as far as being in charge of these calls, we have two career battalion chiefs on duty 24 hours a day in the county, supplemented with numerous volunteer uh, officers throughout the county, chief officers, assistant chiefs, duty officers, and those things. Uh, so those 
personnel just responded, implemented our standard operating procedures to handle the influx of calls in that priority order and just work through the system. How long of a day was it for you? Uh, so that was a long day. That was a normal 24-hour shift for me. Um, <clears throat> by the time I think I dried out, so I'd come on duty at 6 o'clock that morning, and I was, and I, I believe if memory serves me correctly, that was a Tuesday. I had come on duty at 6 o'clock that morning, was scheduled to get off at 6 a.m. the following Wednesday, and I think I had finally like cleaned up my stuff and dried out and actually sat down for the first time other than responding from one call to the next at about 4.30 that morning. Wow. Wow. How many how many calls did you personally go to? Do you remember? Um, so so I probably personally responded to the neighborhood of maybe twenty calls. Wow. Uh, as we started to see the complexity of the incident, uh, I relocated myself to the west side of Frederick, the Jefferson Brunswick area, and coordinated resource management in that area. So. Once the incident had evolved to a certain point, uh, because of my role, I no longer physically started responding to certain incidents versus managing incidents that were hand being handled in that portion of the county. We did the same thing with volunteer officers in Frederick City, uh, the chief of the United Fire Company. Uh, those guys started to manage incidents within Frederick City. So I went from more of an immediate responder role, physically going into the scene, to uh, managing those resources in a region within the county. And then I physically did respond uh, to the Mark train incident in Brunswick mm -hmm. that night, just based on the magnitude of it. Uh, I had, I had responded down to that incident and, uh, kind of saw that through to the end. Okay. We're going to take a quick break now to hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Almost 1,000 Frederick County youth are homeless and not sure where they'll be sleeping tonight. SHIP, a nonprofit serving homeless youth, wants to put those numbers to rest. And you can help during their fall fundraising campaign. The culmination of the campaign is an event for the entire family. Join SHIP and Mattress Warehouse on October 13th for a mega sleepover at Tuscarora High School. The night includes dinner, music, karaoke, games for all ages, a movie, silent disco, and a bedtime story. Donate to SHIP today and get more details at ShipSleepover.com. That's ShipSleepover.com. You know, we were talking a little bit before we went on air about your schedule and working 24 hours on at a time. Can you just talk a little about how that works? Do you get a chance? I mean, obviously, the, the night of the flood, I'm assuming you didn't sleep. But when you're on 24 hours, do you get a chance to rest? Uh, so, so theoretically, there is uh, some rest built into that with the assumption that in the overnight hours, uh, that on-duty personnel can get some sleep as, as call volume allows. Uh, but really... Um, and, and this isn't at my level, the everyday folks riding the ambulances and the engines around Frederick County, uh, they're busy all night. Uh, the county's significantly grown, and uh, it would not be uncommon for some of those providers uh, or personnel to get maybe two, three hours of sleep um, in a night, if they get sleep at all, especially those, uh, those newer people who are assigned to the ambulances every day. Uh, they're busy. It's not uncommon. Uh, certainly, just as the geography of Frederick County would support, you know, our downtown Frederick stations theoretically are much busier than some of the firehouses out in the county. Uh, but but it's it's a it's a cost benefit there because while the city units are bigger, a call may take 20 minutes compared to coming in from Brunswick, where the call takes two hours. So even our slow stations have have issues with uh, the ability to sleep per se. Um, it sounds extremely weird for somebody not accustomed to the fire service to think about, oh my goodness, working 24 hours. But I think we just become conditioned to it. Um, it, it affords us many opportunities, both on the job and off the job. Uh, but there are a lot of things that we need to accomplish throughout the course of the day. And the 24 hour staffing model works well for us. And, and I think once you become accustomed to it, it becomes a lifestyle. 
So I probably worked 24-hour shifts for the first, I don't know, 10, 12 years of my career. And then when I went to the training academy, I went to day work. A theoretical, normal Monday through Friday job from 8 to 4. That was weird. Like, that's normal to you guys probably where my 24 is weird. That was weird. Uh, basically punching a time clock in and out. You know, you're at a desk. Hey, it's 4 o'clock. I'm going home. That's just something that I was never accustomed to growing up in the fire service. So while 24-hour shifts may sound weird uh, to the average person, day work was weird to me. Mm-hmm. So so I guess it's just kind of what you're used to and what you've become accustomed to over the years. Well, but you, you do the 24-hour shift twice a week, I think? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, so the other five days out of the week, are you able to sleep sort of at a normal level? And like go- So it, it, uh, it depends. You know, just like anybody else, you know, I have kids and stuff, so you have a life outside of yeah. your job. Uh, so my position is is kind of unique with the special operations so there are numerous days where it's not my 24-hour shift and i come into various meetings um you know we tour hazmat facilities in the county i sit on a a few uh, emergency management committees within the county so it's not uncommon at all for even on a day off to come in for an hour or two meeting uh theoretically I i think some of our folks get some rest and uh, I think it's probably one of those generational things. We got the folks who have kids who probably just don't sleep. But if you have kids, that's normal, regardless of what job you have, right? And then we got the younger generation who they're playing Fortnite and doing all those video game <laughs> things on their day off. So they're not sleeping anyway either. So uh, it's certainly built into there. Um, and the mechanism's there. It does take a little bit of, uh, of time to get used to and accustomed to. Your sleep clock is completely off. You know, you're up for 24 hours. Like, theoretically you come home put your kids on the bus to go to school or something how do you go to sleep in the middle of the day but then if you were up for all all 24 hours it just kind of happens anyway because you're tired but I think we just get used to that and like I say we, we have different levels of employee that typically come with that generational difference you know the parents are busy doing their things uh, the younger single people are video gaming it up and doing their thing so uh, so theoretically yeah that's your time to catch up on rest is on your days off but uh, life sometimes has different <laughs> plans. Let's say so. Let's say I'm a I'm a new recruit, and I've, I've made it through the training, and, and I'm you know at a station full time. Um, and say I'm interested in, in getting involved in special <laughs> operations. Is there additional training for that? Does that come with the initial recruit process? So it does not come with the initial recruit process. So basically, for the for the career folks, uh, we're looking at about a 26, 28 week training academy. And that gives them the basic entry level training in most of what we do. So they get basic training to ride an ambulance, basic training to do firefighting stuff, and they get some basic rescue skills. Uh, That that covers all the prerequisite material if they wanted to go out and become a swift water uh, responder. So basically, that's like another 60 hours of training for the career recruit. Uh, But if you want to flip hats for a second, for a volunteer to come in and take that training, uh, in a different mechanism where they're not coming to the training academy as their job and they have to do it in addition to what they, uh, their normal family and work obligations. That's really over 200 hours of training. Uh, typically, those trainings are delivered in semesters like a traditional college fall and spring. So theoretically, um, it would really take them almost two years to get that training. Uh, so that's one of the difficulties with sustainment of people is uh, it is technical level training. Like, say, we're looking at over 200 hours, and that's just for that. Uh, that's not counting a volunteer who wants to come in and, and, and be an officer or ride an ambulance. That would just be from the, the volunteer who wanted to start with nothing and start responding to swift water calls. Uh, additionally, like, say, those career folks, it's probably another 60 hours on top of their initial training. 
just so that kind of leads me to my next question. I, I was going to ask, you know, the one the one thing I hear around the county w- within the fire and rescue uh, services is understaffing. Um, and so do you find it to be difficult to get people to be able to respond to calls on, on maybe a night like May 17th when we had the flood? Or is it pretty easy to have enough people there to staff and hit all the calls? Uh, so so it's really hit or miss. Um, so so we have a good volunteer contingent in Frederick County and uh, the career staffing supplements them. Uh, but, you know, one of the sheer things off the top of your head that really affects that is when is the call? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the volunteer folks work typical Monday through Friday jobs in the daytime. So had that flooding been at two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, our resources would have been uh, stretched much thinner than maybe six, seven, eight o'clock in an evening. Uh, so it varies. Um, staffing is always a problem, um, especially with the swift water or the special operations element as a whole. Uh, sometimes what we do isn't extremely rewarding per se and with all the extra training it's difficult to generate interest there sometimes Uh, out of everything we do in the fire service you know they always say it's an inherently dangerous uh, profession which I agree with but water is by far the most dangerous thing that we deal with because we can't really control any element of a water rescue other than do we engage or don't we engage and I think that that's intimidating to folks And, uh, you know, no different than going to a pool. You either like water and you're a water person or you're not. So that that does restrict our ability to get some staffing numbers just based off the technicality of it and the risk. So you love water. I don't love water. (laughs) I don't hate water like I'm a middle of the road kind of guy. So uh, I probably wouldn't sink, uh, but I'm not Michael Phelps either. You know, like I can hold my own. Um, it, it just comes with the territory. Again, I like I like the specialty of water rescue. Um, you know, the the volunteer leadership that have the have these boat companies. Uh, those folks theoretically are really in the water. I have a great group of folks that work underneath me uh, in the career chain of command. That, that these guys are fish on their days off. They love water. Uh, they do a lot of. Uh, the legwork stuff for me. So just like anything else, you know, like no matter how good I am at it or like I'm only as good as the people I have under me. And I have a great group of folks that support the uh, special operations mission in Frederick County. Uh, We want to get to we we brought you in uh, because we really wanted to talk to you. It's been great talking to you thus far. Right, Alan? Yeah. Okay. Just I hope you're having fun talking to us. I am. You guys doing okay with your seating (laughs) arrangement? Yeah, yeah, this is very (laughs) odd. I feel so close. (laughs) Uh, but we wanted to talk a little bit about Hurricane Florence uh, because that has sort of been in the news for the past week or so. And uh, we're just kind of, or at least I'm wondering, I can't speak for Alan, even though I'm sitting so close to him right now. Uh, when you see something like this is coming down, it's in the forecast, you know it could affect us. And I think we didn't get hit as much as people thought we would. But what was your sort of approach and preparation and maybe last week leading up to when you thought the storm was going to hit? Sure. So the first thing, obviously, is our priority regardless is Frederick County, the citizens and visitors of Frederick County. Can we meet the service delivery for them? Uh, So at all times, that's our number one concern. So we talked about staffing can potentially be an issue. Um, So we need to make sure in those situations that all of our I's are dotted and T's are crossed, so to speak. Uh, so the one difference there in planning for that is we really start to look at specific staffing levels. So the volunteers will provide specific rosters of, hey, I have folks during these time frames. Here's their name. Like I, I have guaranteed staffing for this boat. 
uh, in turn if there's any weaknesses because, hey, you know, they're working this day, then we will supplement that staffing with, with career staffing. Uh, so we certainly looked at the number of people that we had very hard well in advance to uh, Florence being projected to hit the area. Uh, in addition, uh, we do some sort of operational readiness checks every day, but we take that to the next level, right? So for example, you know, do we have multiple ga gas cans of fuel for our boat motors? Uh, when the weather event's coming in, some, not all of our boats are always inflated and ready for immediate deployment. All of those boats become inflated. Uh, I had talked to you that some of the stations have more than one boat. Um, one boat, I'm sorry. Uh, we look at reallocating those boats geographically throughout the county to maximize all the resources that we have. Uh, in addition, a fair amount of the rescues that we run may not require a boat, so we still have water-trained folks that we may assign to rescue squads or ladder trucks and give them the, the specialized uh, protective equipment and tools where they could theoretically do some water rescue uh, maneuvers from a rescue squad or a ladder truck. So really going into that, uh, you know, our first phase was logistics. Is everything up and running? You know, we've had a lot of rain recently. Is anything broken, uh, non-serviceable that hasn't been repaired? We need to address that immediately. I, I met with the volunteer leadership. We held a few conference calls for our, for our boat companies, addressed all those uh, logistical items uh, very early on into the incident. Then we started looking at staffing numbers. Where do we stand? What folks do you have? How can I supplement and help that? And then how can we take these resources and break them apart to maximize their response capability within the county? Additionally, we had drafted up some plans that, hey, if this flood hits like, it, like we experienced in May or something similar, we really need to regionalize our response because, you know, on a given day, most of our boat companies are along the Potomac River. You know, we have Brunswick, we have uh, Carroll Manor, we have Pointer Rocks. Well, theoretically, they're there for a reason because of everyday recreational use on the, uh, on the rivers. That's where our water calls are. But for an, uh, an event like this, we really need to spread those units out, look at some sort of geographic placement of those units to make sure the whole county's covered until we get a handle of what's impacted and what's not, and then adjust accordingly. So I think that's how we did a lot of preparing internally. Uh, we, we notified our, our career folks, hey, bring your stuff with you, plan to stay for more than 24 hours. Um, so I think we had great, especially with that lead in time, great communication, multiple conference calls between the career and volunteer leadership. And uh, luckily we didn't have to enact any plans, uh, but all those things were worked out in advance. You know, what units would go where, are they adequately staffed? How do we maximize what we're doing to handle uh, an extreme influx in, in the system? Because at the end of the day, we still only have so many boats. So how can we be creative in maximizing the resources, you know, if Frederick City floods, do I need a boat or do I need a certain type of boat to handle that? Or can my rescue squads and ladder trucks with water trained people handle that? So that's the kind of planning we went into, I guess. Do you think it's over? Do you think the rain's dwindling down? And So, I mean, they're calling for more thunderstorms and rain today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we review the rain every, I mean, the weather every morning, but anytime this time of year, hey, chance of rain and thunderstorms, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think our current issue right now is uh, there's so much ground saturation there now that even a smaller amount of rain will, will have a bigger impact on us than it normally would, say, you know, in a summer month. Um, I, I think we're in a good position right now. The community's certainly well aware. We've been trying to communicate messages. Everybody's into the news with everything going on with Hurricane Florence. Uh, so while I think we have more rain in the future, I, I don't anticipate uh, – significant impact from that because we've done so much planning and preparation and everybody's kind of accustomed to the rain now so to speak 
It doesn't say when it's I like leave Florida. here two hours from now, we get another storm that stalls over Frederick, and we, we have to uh, spring into action. So uh, Murphy's Law, so we probably shouldn't talk about that, and I'll call you guys tomorrow, and thank you for having this conversation. Uh, but I think theoretically we're in a good position, and you know we'll start to get out of hurricane season and, and move on. You mentioned uh, it being hurricane season, and you mentioned this time of year. What about the winter? What about uh, things, you know, when it gets to December, it gets to January, February, it's more cold. It doesn't rain as much. How what, is that a slow time for you guys usually? So uh, it's slower than the rain season for water rescue. And uh, and I guess the element of that significantly changes. You know, one of our we, we have a couple of risks, but most of our risk in the winter stem around ice related emergencies. Uh, people who fall through the ice on a pond or doing some sort of recreational activity and go through. Um, maybe somebody fell into their pool and we have a hypothermia or a, or a weather-related um, emergency medical incident. Uh, actual water rescue uh, down, we typically don't see the rainfall. Normally at this time of year, you know, normally we're experiencing a drought and our river levels are low. So even if we get that snow melt or that rain in the winter, it doesn't bring it up to a dangerous level. Uh, most recreational stuff on the rivers and the waterways around Frederick County subsided for those cold months. So I'd say our biggest challenge uh, in the winter months is some sort of ice rescue, uh, people not adhering to warnings or, or not taking notice uh, of how thick the ice is. Um, the other one, you know, that we in common pretty, I guess, I don't want to say pretty frequently, but probably most frequently is a pet or some sort of animal runs out onto an ice pond. You know, the homeowner goes out there, tries to retrieve their pet. I'm a pet guy. I get it. Like, I love my dog. Um, so I understand. But theoretically, you know, they should call for uh, trained assistance, whether it be fire rescue, animal control, and not make themselves a victim in trying to do that. So I think that's our most common winter occurrence. With as much rain as we've had, and so we, we work in news and we see the high-profile rescues and the ones that don't go so well or whatever, but... Has there been an increase in swift water rescue calls that you guys have seen this year as opposed to most years, or has the, the amount of rain not necessarily uh, equated to that increase? So the rain is definitely uh, uh, equated to an increase for us. Uh, that May uh, flooding, certainly. We probably ran almost as many calls that day as we normally do on an annual basis. Uh, over the last couple of years, we run about 70 to 80 water rescue incidents a year. Uh, comparatively speaking, back in, I guess it was 2014, we were at maybe 40 to 45. Uh, but here we're hanging pretty steady, 70 to 80. This year we'll be well over 100 and some. A lot of that is attributed to, uh, to that May flooding day. Uh, but we've experienced, just because of rain on multiple days, uh, rescuing more people from stranded vehicles and water and those things. So our, our incidents are definitely up this year. Um, but looking back at that 2014 number, you know, just in 2015 and on, we've theoretically been double that. And some of that's from the recreational use, uh, that, that's so popular around here with the Potomac and the Monocacy and things of that nature. Uh, but the rain has definitely increased the numbers this year for sure. And so I, I want to get a little technical on that. So I, I would assume, I don't know if I'm correct in assuming this, but I would assume most swift water rescue, uh, operations occur in rivers or on flooded roads. So it, it varies, okay. and, and we really encounter two, two types of responses, uh, typically. We, we encounter something that was recreationally based, so a capsized canoe, a tuber in distress on the river, uh, or we get that stranded vehicle uh, in the floodwaters. Uh, I'd say typically, if you want to use the term swift water, 
uh, more than none, that, that's usually the car stranded in water because we've had some sort of rain event. Uh, the, the water has superseded the, uh, the ground's ability to absorb the rain, and that's really moving water. So that really is swift for us, mm-hmm. and uh, we get a fair amount of those. But that's in flux significantly by the weather. You know, there's significant peaks and valleys there on those responses where we probably have a couple uh, consistent recreational type calls throughout the year. Um, typically, this year's abnormal. You know, normally throughout the year, the Potomac and the Monoxy move at similar speeds. They're similar depths. We have that issue. And while they're moving, you know, the, probably the normal speed of the uh, Potomac River is about two and a half miles per hour, right? So up the last couple of days, we've been running at four and a half, five miles per hour. So while it's moving, we still view it swift water. Mm-hmm. So from our training element, you have to be swift water trained to get into it because it's moving. Uh, but theoretically, uh, those vehicles in that stranded water, that flood condition, that water's much faster and much more typical of what you would think of swift water for us. So what are the challenges in an operation? Let's say we get the stranded vehicle uh, in, in floodwaters and a capsized canoe. Okay, so the stranded vehicle in floodwater um, it's an acute, like sudden onset of the incident. And we don't necessarily know, or we're, we're vaguely familiar with the area, but when those waters come in and that rain comes in and it starts flooding, it completely, completely changes the topography that we're used to. So, you know, the road used to be here, a tree used to be there. We have no idea how the water force, the flooding, the weather has changed that. So we're, we're really going into that unknown situation, um, trying to figure it out. You know, water, the pressure of water can displace manhole covers underneath. It can wash away road surfaces. So what are we getting into? We have no idea. Um, and that truly is a blind entry for us. Uh, we make the most informed decision we can from what we can see, but there are a lot of hazards present under and within the water that, that we can kind of anticipate, but we really don't know what that is. Uh, additionally, when we get those floodwaters, we get lots of debris, all kinds of things coming down, uh, tree limbs, logs, you know, trash all kinds of stuff well uh, that's a huge hazard for us Um, if we get a tree limb or something in there and the force of the water on it it creates something that's called a strainer and basically that object stuck but the water's still moving past it well that's a huge threat to a rescuer because if they get pinned up against that object the object isn't moving and the force of the water is keeping them pinned to that object so that's a very high risk evolution for us Um, just because it's so unknown and so unpredictable. And no matter how much planning we could do, we could go out and take pictures of it today, and three hours from now it's changed because of whatever event happened. Uh, The recreational stuff on the river, a little bit more clear-cut. I think probably our hardest initial is trying to figure out and narrow down the focus of where that distressed individual is. Uh, A lot of people don't necessarily know the landmarks on the river. Uh, It's difficult to tell where they are. Plus, there's a current behind the river. So even if I was at point A when I called 911, now the current's taking me down to point B. And uh, trying to account for that and figure that in there. But we have a much better idea, a general working knowledge of the river and the conditions it, it presents. So again, the floodwaters change that impact with debris, speed of the water, uh, but that's a much more uh, planned event for us. We, we have a good working knowledge of those rivers, those bodies of water, what the landmarks are, what, the, what stuff is in the river. Uh, so I feel that that's a much more informed entry for us, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt in danger yourself while out? Um, so uh, not per se. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, the battalion chief, so myself, for example, uh, we respond by ourselves. Uh, so it, it just happened to be dumb luck the night of uh, 
of the May flooding, I was at a meeting and one of our lieutenants assigned to the training academy accompanied all those responses, but that would have been an extremely overwhelming night. Uh, the conditions were so poor, driving, wires were down. It would have been very intimidating to take all that in, responding in a vehicle by myself, listening to the radio, uh, getting information on our computers in the vehicle, uh, trying to see that. So, so that would have been the night probably because it was so dark. Visibility was so bad. Uh, trying to drive, navigate, read a map, process the information. So having that assistant, that lieutenant with me was, was uh, instrumental in that being successful. That's not no a normal response procedure for us. Like say, it just happened to be dumb luck. Uh, but that would have been the night where I would have been like, wow, I'm out here, limited radio communications. I can't see anything. I don't know what's going on. I'm by myself, you know. So, so there are those situations for sure. Hmm. Well, we usually. And do you have any more? No, Alan? go ahead. No. Do you have? Do you have any more flood water related questions? I do it's not. interesting to me that you say you don't like water. So I didn't say that I don't <laughs> like water. I think you asked me if I loved water. He doesn't love it. So I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's like um, you know, like a, a Three Musketeers. You don't really love it, right? But you can eat it if you're really <laughs> right, hungry. Right, right. Yeah. So like, I, I we have people that absolutely hate water. Again, we have the guys that love water. I'm the middle of the road kind do of. Do you guy. do you have like uh so. I go back to the movie The Guardian, that Ashton Kutcher, Kevin Costner movie. Do you have like the guy who is like the stud water rescuer? So I, I have the guy who I probably think is that guy, and then I have a few guys who probably think they're <laughs> that guy. Um, so so we'll just say they're out okay. there, and and uh, we won't get any more specific in that to not hurt feelings. Uh, but I will say that I probably liked water a lot more before I had this mm -hmm. position. Mm. Uh, you learn the dangers of it, and uh, hey, you know, just to go recreationally fish, do this, that. Yep, like I was that guy. Hey, it's fun. And then when you see the aftermath of these incidents and the more you learn about it and uh, and hear how dangerous it is, it's not nearly as fun as it seemed prior to. Right. Yeah, I, I like newspapers a lot more before I started working here. So uh, we usually finish these things up with some fun questions, okay. some lighter things, that you know, not um, not serious stuff. So uh, if you're up for it, we sure. have a few that we'd like to ask. Yeah, you. let's now, do it. I just brought up Three Musketeers as a candy bar. Do you have a favorite candy bar? Uh, no, I'm more of like a chocolate chip cookie kind of guy. Chocolate for those who cookie. can't see me, I think my body stature <laughs> supports that. Uh, no, I'm a cookie guy, not really a candy guy. Okay, cookie. So chocolate chip is your favorite cookie? Yeah, yeah. Do you like a sugar cookie? Uh, not really. Peanut butter cookie? Uh, that's okay. That's it's a okay. close second. Okay. Oatmeal raisin cookie? How about oh. Christmas cookies? Not really. The cookie with the Hershey Kiss in the middle. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So oh, I forgot about that. that, that that's, a, that's a seasonal favorite. Okay, fair enough. Um, when you're you're working for 24 hours, do you usually bring your own food? Uh, so, so it depends. Uh, typically, uh, most of our fire stations get together as a shift and cook dinner. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so I'll eat with one of those fire stations. And that's, that's a pretty interesting element of the fire service, right? So... Like the average fire station might have an ambulance, a fire truck, you know, whatever. Some of them have rescue squads, and they're all doing their specific mission for the day. And uh, there may be six or eight hours where they really are just passing each other, you know, ships in the night kind of thing. Uh, so that's a chance for those folks to come together for the day, share their day, experience a little camaraderie. A lot of the officers touch base with their folks, you know, informally over those meals. Uh, so typically I'll get in on one of those meals at the fire station. We'll discuss the day's activities, things about the organization, stuff our kids are doing or whatever, uh, because we're so busy sometimes doing our respective uh, missions for the day that uh, that lets us come together and, uh, and have that, that human side, if you will. 
When it's been your turn to cook in the past, what has been the meal you've made for the shift? So, uh, so I, as a chief, I don't really cook anymore because I'm busy doing stuff. But when I was a lieutenant in the station, uh, I was busy too, and the guys swore I couldn't cook. <laughs> um, so, so I proved them wrong. And I guess like crab cakes was one of the things. Okay. Or uh, you know, depending on the budget that day, a chicken version of a crab cake, same thing, but replaced <laughs> the crab meat with chicken. So the guys seemed to like that pretty, uh, pretty well. So that's probably one of my uh, go-to meals that that they enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite movie? So do I have a favorite movie? Uh, pretty much anything about. I'm a big baseball guy. Okay. Uh, so oh. so I enjoy most baseball movies. You know, probably one of the classics there, Field of Dreams, something along those lines. That's a great one. Um, you know, The Sandlot. Uh, those kind of things. So, so that's probably I, I enjoy any good comedy, um, but I but I am a big baseball guy, so I enjoy baseball movies the most. Are you an O's fan or a Nats fan? So I'm not even sure the Orioles still play baseball at this <laughs> point in time. Um, but I, I am an O's fan. Uh, it's been extremely challenging to do that this year. I think they uh, just lost their 250th game this season. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'm loyal to the hometown team, and then uh, my son. I, I don't know why. I think just to bug me. Uh, he's just becoming a teenager. He's a big Pittsburgh fan. Ooh. Loves the Pirates. Uh, loves the Steelers. Uh, so he's drugged me with him a few times to PNC Park to watch it's the beautiful Pirates. Park. By far my best baseball experience ever. So, beautiful uh, Park. So I started to uh, follow the Pirates a little bit after that. But I guess the Orioles are still my team. Well, that's better than Baltimore, at least <laughs> in, in baseball. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Um, so I, I'm not really the uh, – so typically, and this is boring, uh, but I read job-related stuff because I do so much teaching mm-hmm. that uh, I don't really sit down and have time to read a book per se. Um, so I guess when I was younger, I was a big fan of like Mark Twain stuff. Uh, my grandfather had got me into some of those series. Uh, but now, like like at the moment, I'm teaching three different classes, uh, completely different topics. I'm probably not smart enough to do that. Uh, so so I'm reading those materials in between classes to keep myself straight. Uh, I also go to college. So most of my reading now is, is stemmed around job-related or educational mm-hmm. stuff. Wow. You, you go to college? I do. I, uh, I do uh, distance learning, so I go to college online. That's cool. What are you studying? Uh, so I'm trying to finish out my bachelor's degree in uh, fire service administration um, about, I'm about a hundred credits into my bachelor's. So cool. Awesome. close. Cool. If you were do, if you were not doing fire rescue, if you did not have this career, what's one thing that you would be doing otherwise that might surprise people? What would I be doing otherwise? That's a great question. And I don't know because I've been geared for the fire service since I was a little kid. Uh, but I sit around the firehouse often and say, Hey, I can't wait to get out of the fire department. Uh, so so i don't know what what would truly be my career if i wasn't in the fire service uh but passionately like it would be something with baseball Mm -hmm. like uh if i if i could get a job at camden yards you know just being like an usher or something uh maybe being a youth baseball umpire i think that if i could pick something that would be fun and be the next stage of my life that would be it because that's what i enjoy uh if i didn't get the job in the fire department i don't know what i would have really done for a profession (laughs) Alan, do you have any? If you could go to dinner with three people, any three people, uh, got to be living, who okay. would you pick? Any three people got to be living. And what living. would you talk about? Oh, this is a good one. So, huh, three people. I don't even have three friends, so that's <laughs> difficult. Um, let's see. Cal Ripken would probably be number one. Um, so I've actually met Cal. Uh, that was a surprise uh, uh birthday gift for my 40th birthday that's a good um, one that's yeah, a good gift wow, who gave so, you that <laughs> uh, my wife did okay. we went to an autograph signing uh with him so 
Um, and for me, a guy like Cal is much more than baseball, right? So he's a business smart guy. He's a leader in the community. He's big in the youth sports. So I think just because, uh, like, I would talk to him about his his life model on, like, what made him that guy. You know, how can he be the mentor that he is to his kids and stuff? Because anybody who has kids knows that that's a challenge. Like, mm-hmm. how do you how do you be a, an active but busy parent and still be the proper role model for your kids? So I think he would probably be number one. Whew, um, I don't, I don't know about the other two. That's, that's a, you got me on a good one there. Some people say family members. Yeah, I was gonna say you got to bring your wife since she got you the gift to meet Cal. Yeah. So, right? so okay. So I thought it was people I didn't know. Yeah, I'll take her along. Um, <laughs> so, so that'll be fine. We'll take her along, and then, um, yeah, I don't know. Like no one else from my family's coming. Um, so, uh, Buck Show Walter. So I could probably invite some of my superiors, but I don't think they would want to come. Um, <laughs> No, not Buck Show Walter. No. Um, Are you a football guy? Uh, yes, yeah, so I like football. So so maybe Aaron Rodgers again. Oh, okay. You know, that, that team guy, the right mm. – Now, actually, let me take that back. I know who it is now. It's Peyton Manning. Okay. Uh, okay. So he's my football version of Cal Ripken. Um, so I would absolutely talk to Peyton. A Try to get things. in on a commercial? No, so uh, that would be probably my number one question is, hey, man, what are you thinking, right? So, like, some of your commercials are really cheesy. Like, I get it, you're retired, and, and you're Peyton Manning. But, uh, hey, man, let some of it go. Like, you're not writing jingles. You're not doing those things. Um, but, yeah, so probably Peyton, um, mainly because you guys put me on the spot here, uh, my wife and, uh, and, and Cal. But we'll go with those three. All right. Awesome. That's, that's great. Uh, what was the last concert you attended? Well, so that's funny. I probably hadn't been to a concert in like 20 years until recently. I just went to a Kenny Chesney concert. Oh, cool. Uh, How Mary- was it? At Merriweather. So it was okay. Um, I took my daughter with me. She's eight, and she was dying to go to a, con- a concert. So uh, outdoors, like it started with Old Dominion, and like she loved it. And then as it got dark and people started uh, partaking in more adult activities, like she was done. She won the role. So it was a good concert. Uh, but just not my thing anymore, I guess, you know, <laughs> no more. Con- I have one more. Do you have any? Before no, I'm I get good. To- so we always like to ask this. Uh, if you, uh, could go eat in one place in Frederick, where's your favorite place to eat? So my favorite, That's not the firehouse. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so my favorite place to eat in Frederick. So like, am I allowed to say this business name or am I? Yeah. Gonna- yeah. Okay. Yeah. McDonald's, so, right? No, no, not McDonald's. <laughs> so, so I'm a big fan of black hog. Okay. Like, okay. I, like I yep. enjoy black hog. Um, and, and that's like kind of, Hey, a go-to here and there. Um, if I'm going downtown, I'm a big fan of like the Brewers Alley situation, mm-hmm. sit outside mm-hmm. on yep. the market street thing. So what do you typically order at Brewers Alley? Uh, I'm a burger guy, uh, crab cakes there. They have real okay. good crab cakes. I like that. Uh, so usually one of the two. Do you get a beer with it? Uh, occasionally I've been known to partake in, in a beer or two. <laughs> so do you, have do, you a, do you have a beer that you like from yeah. that place? Uh, so no, not, okay. not specific like microbrew from them or anything. No. Okay. Fair. Budweiser, Bud Light. So, uh, so I'm a Sam Adams fan. Sam okay. Adams. And, uh, huh? I also enjoy Bud Light occasionally. Yeah. All right. Awesome. We've learned so much about you. I'm sorry. This is great. <laughs> Mr. David Bards, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the invite.